Uh, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Midtown Schuyler Bookstore. My name is Alex Brubaker. Thank you again for braving the weather. Uh, it was looking a little dicey this morning, but this event uh, we were really enthusiastic about. Um, so we're thrilled that the stars aligned, uh, that Robbie made it safely to Harrisburg, um, and that you're all here with us tonight. Um, before we begin, I'd like to give a quick shout out to Todd Allen and Messiah College for helping put this event together. Uh, Robbie's appearance here today would not be possible without them. Um, it's really exciting when two institutions can come together to put on an event for the community. Um, so thank you again to Todd for reaching out and helping us put this event together. Um, if this is your first time at the Schuyler or first time at one of our events, please take an event newsletter up at the front of the store. Um, we have some really exciting events coming up uh, this Saturday. We have poet Ross Gay who's coming in. Um, so stay tuned to our website and social media pages for updates and additions. Now I'm gonna welcome someone uh, to the stage who, if you're from Harrisburg, likely needs no introduction, but he deserves one anyway, and that is our very own Brandon Flood. Brandon is the chairman of both the Pennsylvania NAACP State Conference's Political Action Committee and the Greater Harrisburg NAACP's Community Affairs Committee. He currently serves as legislative director for SEIU, Pennsylvania State Council, a labor organization that represents over 80,000 unionized public sector workers. Prior to this role, Brandon worked for the Pennsylvania House of Representatives for eight years. A native son of Harrisburg, he presently resides in Steelton, where he serves as a member of the Steelton Borough Zoning Hearing Board. Please join me in welcoming Brandon Flood to the stage. Thank you, Alex. And uh, good evening, everyone. Yeah, let's get it, let's try it again. You know, I, I, I know it's icy out. Good evening, everyone. And now, while I know that our, our uh, turnout may have suffered because of the elements, uh, as Alex mentioned, definitely appreciate those that uh, did see the value in still making it here this evening. Uh, certainly, it's a, if you had a chance to uh, familiarize yourself with the speaker for this evening, certainly you know that this is a very topical issue and an issue that all of us uh, should not only, be, not only be informed about, but also uh, play a hand in shaping the public policy uh, that drives our local police uh, officers as well as our state police and our law enforcement community generally. So as was mentioned, uh, Alex did mention that, I, so I've I recently transitioned into the role as legal redress chair for the Greater Harrisburg NAACP. And just briefly, what that role encompasses is I'm charged with the intake of all complaints, particularly civil complaints. Uh, we don't take uh, criminal complaints, but we do make referrals. So my main job is any complaints that has to do with discrimination. What we do is I in, I'm the person that is the direct contact and I assist those that need to file complaints either with local police departments, the uh, Human Relations Commission, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, also private employers as well. Uh, so that's my main job and, and my role as legal redress chair. But enough about me, uh, let's talk about the man uh, who is going to grace us with his presence as well as his experience this evening. So as you all know, the, the, the book is entitled No Justice, One White Police Officer, One Black Family, and How One Bullet Ripped Us Apart. And as a bit of background about the author, uh, Mr. Robbie Nolan Tolan, excuse me, has spent more than a decade fighting for the rights of victims seeking justice from our nation's criminal justice and judicial systems particularly as it relates to police brutality. And, uh, and for any of you that are from Harrisburg or live in the surrounding area, certainly you know that police brutality and police-involved shootings is not something that is unique 
in other places. It, it happened in our very own community here in Harrisburg not too long ago. So as I mentioned, it's very topical. Uh, as both a victim of, as well as a victor against the criminal justice system, in 2008, Mr. Tolan uh, personally underwent the harrowing experience of being shot by a police officer in the driveway of his home uh, for being suspected of stealing his own vehicle. Following uh, an officer-involved uh, shooting uh, and, and following the case that where there, in, in, in this particular case, the district attorney did file charges. Uh, however, the officer was ultimately acquitted. Uh, Mr. Tolan uh, decided to file suit against the officer as well as the police department uh, in after a lengthy and circuitous legal battle his precedent setting case which anyone can view now whether you go to whether you google or go to uh, lexus nexus the case is tolan versus cotton uh, that case in particular spurred the u.s supreme court uh, to ensure that lower courts are lawfully evaluating and properly applying the qualified immunity standard when it comes to police officers that are involved in uh, alleged misconduct. Uh, since this time, Mr. Tolan has created and adeptly utilized his foundation entitled Project uh, 1231 uh, to ensure that victims of police brutality receive the support, the support and resources that they need in order to pursue justice on their individual terms. And I had a chance to speak with Mr. Tolan uh, prior uh, to this event commencing. And the one thing I said to Mr. Tolan, and, and I didn't know whether or not it was intentional, but most of you, all of you here know that the owner of the bookstore is also the mayor of the city, correct? And if you don't, you do now. So uh, what, what's, what's I think very important here is one of the duties uh, or the purview of the mayor, the police department falls directly under the, the, the mayor. So the mayor has direct control over the police department. So he can directly ensure that uh, police officers are adequately trained and equipped to deal with the public. Uh, so I, you know, I don't know if Mayor Papenfus is here tonight or will be here tonight, but certainly I know this is something that him and I, we've had conversations about over the, over the years even about instituting a uh, police advisory commission or a police oversight commission or some iteration thereof. Uh, so there are checks and balances and that the folks in this community uh, feel like those that uh, up who swore to uphold and protect uh, the Constitution and also to serve and protect are, are, are doing their jobs uh, properly. So I think that was, it's very fitting to have Mr. Tolan here because like I said, th these are outstanding issues that the city are still grappling with, and I think he can certainly provide additional insight uh, to, to our mayor. So uh, without further ado, I will give you the man of the hour and the man who will uh, express uh, his own experience, and, and hopefully you'll leave with a better understanding. I, I, I'll, I'll presume that most of you are here uh, are here because not you're, you're anti-law enforcement, and Mr. Tola himself, despite his own ordeal, has not uh, sought to, to, to uh, foster a message of uh, anti-law anti enforcement. Instead, we need to make sure that there's accountability and oversight for our officers all across the Commonwealth. So without further ado, I give you Mr. Robbie Tolan. Hello, hello, hello. That uh, was an incredible introduction. I'm not sure that if I should just open it up to questions now or <laughs> I don't know that I can follow that, but, um, but I, I wanna thank you guys for being here. Um, 
in the cold. I am from Houston, so I'm not used to this at all. And and my toes are cold right now. So I, I don't I don't own any Timberlands like like my man Todd back here and any boots like this. But uh I'm a little chilly, so this might go real fast. Um but uh just to kind of piggyback off off of Brandon, um I I, I grew up uh for those that didn't get a chance to skim the book or, or aren't familiar with the book, I, I grew up in a baseball family. Uh, my dad played 14 years in the major leagues, um, six World Series rings, uh, played for the Phillies, played for the Pirates, um, and, and my cousin, as you can see on the book here, I know this guy right here, King Griffey Jr., you guys have heard of that guy? Um, <laughs> and I actually played for the Nationals, so so yeah, I played for the Washington Nationals, so, uh, you know, Harrisburg Senators, yeah, that was one of our teams. So um, there was nothing else for Robbie Tolan but baseball. That's all I wanted to do growing up. Um, you know, I, I, I went to school because they let me play baseball, and that's just that's just the way it, it worked with me. I, You know, people would ask me about a plan B, no plan B. This is what I'm going to do. And uh, and I was on my way, uh, following in my father's footsteps and my cousin's footsteps and, you know, growing up in baseball around, you know, major leaguers and, and Hall of Famers. And and uh, I had I had some pretty good role models, needless to say, um, or people that I could mimic and, and, and follow and, 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 you know, talk their head off about baseball and, you know, receive some good stuff as well. Um, so I was uh, playing for the Nationals in 2008, and it was during the off season. And I was, you know, home, happy to be home in Houston. I had, uh, I, I had been, you know, playing for six, six, seven months. I hadn't seen my family, so I was excited to be home. And of course, it was the holidays, and um, my family usually does this this big New Year's Eve party, and so I was excited for that. And, uh, my cousin and I went out and went out with some friends, went to the liquor store to get some holiday spirit uh, for our party the next evening. And we came back home and um, there was a, a officer that pulled up behind me, parked in front of my house that I, as I had done for, you know, we had been in that house 15 years at the time. I'd had that car for four years. And for those that don't know, uh, I, I grew up in, in Bel Air, Texas, a uh, suburb of Houston, kind of a city within the city of Houston, smack dab in the middle. Um, city of about maybe 3,000, 3,500 residents or so. They have their own police department. Um, so I think, you know, for a city within a city that has their own police department, you kind of know who your residents are. Uh, I've been at that house for 15 years. I had played baseball at Bel Air High School all four years. I was a professional baseball player. I wasn't exactly without achievement. Um, so I, I, I pulled up in front of my house, and I saw that there were lights on my door when I opened the car door. And I looked back and saw that it was a police car. Okay, no big deal. I hadn't done anything. You know, it was two in the morning. I wasn't drunk or driving erratically or anything like that. And, um, you know, my cousin and I got out, 
business as usual. Uh, walked up the driveway, got to the front door, and I heard, get on the ground. And I looked back, and I said, at this point, he had his gun and flashlight drawn. I said, what do we do? He said, we got a report of a stolen car. I said, no, sir, that's, that's my car. This is my house. I can show you my ID. I don't want to hear it again. Get on the ground. You know, the, the more I questioned why uh, we were being stopped, the more uh, angry he got. And so uh, my, my parents, uh, at the time, they had a, um, the front door had a little pane glass window. So that I can see them coming outside. They heard us from inside the house. They were coming outside. And I said, okay, I'll get down. Mom and dad are going to come outside and clear this whole thing up. All will be well. Well, I got on the ground, and my dad walks outside. He said, sees it, it's a police officer. What, what's going on? Uh, we got a report that that car that those kids are driving was st is stolen. No, sir, that's, that's my son. That's my nephew. This is our house. That's our car. Took my dad at gunpoint up against the wall. Um... My mom comes outside. Um, <laughs> I I I know uh, I know most black mothers are like this, but my mom is a little bitty firecracker who thinks she can beat up Mike Tyson, right? So my mom comes outside and she's like, "What's going on?" They tell her. This is crazy. We've been here 15 years. Nothing like this has ever happened. You guys have made a big mistake. You know, we're going to call the mayor. We're going to call the police chief. We're going to, you know, get attorneys involved. This is crazy. And another officer who was the backup officer uh, grabbed her and dragged her across the driveway, threw her against the wall. And at that point, I lost it. Uh, I pushed myself up. And I'll give you the, uh, the Sesame Street version, but I said, get your hands off my mother. And he didn't say a word. He took his gun and shot me, shot me in the chest. Um, then they put my parents, my cousin, in separate police cars. And the first person that came to my aid was the person that shot me. And, um, and he's digging in my pants and, where's the gun? Where's the gun? He wasn't going to find a gun because I didn't have one. Um, so long story short, I, I'll, I'll tell you the, 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 the quick version because I don't want to, I want you guys to purchase the book, right? Uh, and also I want to I hear you, uh, some of you guys' questions. I, I'd rather be uh, interactive and engaging um, as opposed to just giving a boring lecture and my feet are still cold. Um, but as, as Brandon said, they... Uh, they indicted the officer. He was, of course, acquitted. Uh, we filed a federal lawsuit that landed on the desk of a judge named Melinda Harmon. It was a federal judge appointed by uh, George H.W. Bush. Um, she, by the way, this judge has a very nasty reputation of throwing out every civil rights case she's ever had. Um, she was quoted at Penn State in a speaking engagement as saying blacks and brown people are genetically predisposed to, to commit violent crimes. Uh, 
but yet she's a federal judge, right? She's appointed for life. Um, so our, our case fell on the desk of Melinda Harmon. She granted qualified immunity to the officers, summary judgment quali qualified immunity, dismissed it. We filed a, an appeal to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans who the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, takes cases from Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi that we'll, we'll call it conservative, a nice way of, you know, there you go. Um, and they threw it out as well. So we filed a, another appeal to have all 17 judges on the panel hear the case. They threw it out as well. So having gone through all the necessary channels, the next step was the United States Supreme Court. Um, my parents sold their home in order to take the case to the Supreme Court. And uh, on May 5th, 2014, we got a unanimous decision in our favor. Um, now that's great, right? And it also, as Brandon said, it also uh, kind of uh, boxes judges in on, on, on what they can do or, or, or um, uh, the, the, the parameters for which they can grant qualified immunity. But the problem was the case went back to Melinda Harmon. So we were getting ready for trial. And she, the, the writing was on the wall. My mother didn't want to see it. Um, I was shot at 23. At this point, I was 30. Um, I hadn't done anything. I hadn't traveled. I you know, didn't have any money. I couldn't get a job. Um, I was still living at home. You ever try to date as a 30-year-old living in your parents' house? It gets old real quick. But, um, but the writing was on the wall. She, she made a comment in the paper uh, as saying, I wasn't wrong the first time I threw it out. Um, I'm tempted to throw it out again but the Supreme Court said I need to hear it, so I'll hear it and then I'll throw it out in the paper. Um, we asked her to recuse herself. That made her very happy, of course, as you can imagine. Um, then she just started dismissing everyone from the case. She threw my parents off the case, threw the police department off the case, uh, all of our witnesses, you know, we had all of these. Uh, I had former coaches that coached me that play in the major leagues coming down to testify. King Griffey Jr. coming to testify. She threw everyone off the case, um, but let the city and the officer keep all of them, all of, all of their experts on the case. And so um, at that point, I, you know, I, I, I was, I was done. Um, I, uh, I had began writing uh, a book. Shortly after I was uh, discharged from the hospital, um, simply because I didn't want to forget things that, that was going on. I, I, it was a lot happening, and I didn't know if I would be able to remember, so I just kind of started making notes of stuff. And eventually this, this kind of book formed, and I was writing stuff as it happened. Um, and I had... Um, I had signed with an agent, with a, with a literary agent, um, just before the trial. And now, because my parents were thrown off the case, so here, here's the thing. I was going through a lot. 
physically, psychologically, you know, and uh, there were times when I didn't want to be bothered with it. Um, you know, there would have to be a decision that needed to be made uh, for an appeal for, you know, we had certain uh, deadlines to do stuff. You know, we, uh, if a case gets thrown out, we have this many days to file another appeal. And my mom would say, what do you want to do? I don't care what we do. I don't want to talk about it. So my mom was the one that was kind of championing this fight. She took this fight on as her own. And um, when I didn't want to be bothered, she, she uh, stepped up and, 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 um, and definitely took the fight on as her own. I mean, it, it, it was her own. You know, I'm, I'm her only child, so this very much affected her, right? And so um, at that point, uh, when all of them were dismissed from the case, the lawyer said, well, technically, if Robbie wants to settle, then we have to settle. We don't represent you anymore because you're not no, no longer on the lawsuit. And, you know, my mother, the last thing she wanted to, to do was settle. She wanted the story to be heard. She wanted, she wanted to have our day in court, as did I. But, you know, my mom was, you know, 50-something years old, right? It's like my dad was... 60, whatever, and and I, I I was 30 years old and I hadn't done anything, you know I, I I had no life, and I was ready to move on to something and I like I said I had signed with my literary agent, and so I knew that there would be a book eventually, um, and I thought this was the something that I could move on to, um, so I, I uh, you know they they made an offer, a settlement offer, and it was. Um, Disgraceful, actually, but um, my mom didn't want to hear it, and uh, I kept saying, "Mom, I'm tired. I'm, I'm I'm tired of fighting. You know, what if it, what if it gets dismissed again? Well, then we'll go back to the Supreme Court. That's that, that little firecracker, right? Well, we'll go back to the Supreme Court, which would have taken another like five, six years, um, and so I I called my agent. And I said, I think they're about to throw this case out again. If we don't settle, what happens to the book? And she said, you know, if you, if she dismisses it, it will, if she, if, if you don't settle and she either dismisses it or you lose in a jury trial, it will overshadow the Supreme Court ruling. Um, if she dismisses it and you appeal, that'll be another five, six years and no publishing company will touch a book in litigation. So basically, if you don't settle, the book is dead. And that was the only thing that I had to move on to. And so um, I, think, I think next to the day that I was shot, that was probably the worst day um, of my life. And I called my mom and I told her what my agent said. And she said, okay, take it. And I said, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want you to hate me. And I said, I don't, I don't want to do anything that will ruin our relationship. Because this has been just as much your fight as it has mine. And... Um, and and we settled for um, 
Well, let me, let me first tell you quickly. I had um, over $200,000 in hospital bills, over $200,000 in lawyer fees. We settled for $110,000. And that wasn't by choice. You know, we, we didn't see that number and go, oh, yay. Um, no, we, we were, our, our backs were against the wall, and that was something we were forced to do. Um, but on the uh, flip side, um, I did a, um, I did a speaking engagement in Denver last year. And whenever I tell this part of the story, uh, when I get to the Supreme Court case, there was a, an article in the National Law Journal in December of 2014. Now the Supreme Court thing was in May of 2014. In December, there was a, an article in the National Law Journal that said, my case had been cited um, and helped over 500 cases from May to December. So when I got to that part in my speech in Denver, um, a, an attorney in the back, it was for uh, an attorney conference, an attorney in the back raised his hand. He said, what was the name of the case? I said, Tolan v. Cotton. <laughs> Clicking, writing stuff down. And after I was done, he came up to me and handed me, slid me a piece of paper and I said, what's this? He said, that's the new number. And my case has cited and helped, as of last July, 4,825 cases. So, you know, p I think the, the foresight of my mother to continue to fight wasn't just about me. It was so that this doesn't continue to happen to the next person. And um, I should also tell you guys that there were two other black men shot and killed the same night that I was shot. Um, you guys remember the movie Fruitvale Station? Oscar Grant, same night. Uh, another one was a guy named Adolph Grimes in uh, Oakland. And so, you know, in the 10 years now that it's been, um, I've been on panels and at conferences and, and sat with these mothers who have lost their sons. I've sat with Michael Brown's parents and Trayvon Martin's parents and, and Sandra Bland's parents who went to Prairie View with me. Um, I think about those times when I didn't want to be bothered, but then I sit on these panels and hear these mothers tell their child's story. And I'm here to tell my own. And uh, so I absolutely have an obligation to, to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. So with that, I will stop tearing up. And uh, if, you have any, if you guys have any questions, I, I would love to, to answer them and engage and stop crying up here. If you have a question, just raise your hand and I'll come to you with the mic. Who would you expect to be the intended readers of your book? That's a good question. Um, I think I think everyone who can objectively look at what's been going on the past 
mean, yeah, forever. Uh, but but I think with the you know with the, um, I think I think it's in the in the more recent years it's been easier or harder to ignore. Um, you know, with cell phones now, everyone's got a smartphone, and you know, I think the thing that started it all was the was the Oscar Grant when he was shot in the back on the on the subway floor. Um, so it's, it's it's become harder to ignore. Um, so I think anyone who can objectively look at what's been happening and say that something needs to change. So uh, it, it's it's not a um, not necessarily a, a demographic thing. It's more of a, a, a genuine uh, heart thing. You know what I mean? Uh, it's for someone who, who can look at what's been happening, who can look at, um, you know, a guy with his hands up in the middle of the street, get gunned down, and say that's a problem. So uh, it's not a young people thing. It's not a seasoned people thing, it's not a uh, black or white thing or a brown thing, it's a, I think it's a human thing. Other questions? Yes. How you doing? I'm good, how are you my man? I'm good, I'm good. How is your view of law enforcement not skewed after you experience what you experience? I wasn't raised that way. I wasn't raised that way. Um, first of all, I have, I have a ton of family that, that are still law, law enforcement. Um, and, you know, growing up, I was, I was taught to be kind to people and, you know, and, and, uh, and that people are, for the most part, genuine and, and good people and have clean hearts and, and, uh, and I learned very early that just like anything else, there are good ones and bad ones. Um, it's been a little tougher to say that about the city of Bel Air, um, since the majority of the police department participated in this massive cover-up. Um, but I've been approached by a ton of law enforcement since that happened. And all of them have said, yo, that we don't support that. That, that, wha that what happened to you was not, uh, you know, a representation of the way we feel. And, and you know, I just wanted to you know, I'm, uh, they've said some really nice things, so um, I, I think that's helped. And I, I, I never, um, I don't think I ever once, you know, thought that all policemen were bad or, or that all law, law enforcement were, were evil. And, you know, um, again, like anything else, there are good ones and bad ones. Other questions? Uh, I got a question leading into another question. How far into this whole ordeal did you find out that two other people were shot that same night? The same, the next night? Yeah. How far into like the whole situation did you Immediately. find out? Immediately. Immediately. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm How? -hmm. I'm not saying like you gave up, but I, I wouldn't settle for that. I, I would fight that. You know, the five years. I don't care I about the next five years. Yeah, I but want but when settle. you have nothing to move on to. You know what I'm saying? I I would have be I would I will have been fighting this case for about 15 years, had that happened with with no money, with you know my parents sold their home in Bel Air, six hundred thousand dollar house in Bel Air, to pay for, you know the legal brief to go to the Supreme Court to pay for attorneys to pay, you know what I mean? Th there was nothing to move on to. Um, 
had I had I had I continued to fight. You know, I mean, you know, maybe we would have gotten our day in court, but then maybe we would have ended up on her desk again. You know, and then now I'm 35. No money. No girlfriend. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're still living at home. Um, and so it wasn't it wasn't we didn't give up by any means. Um, if you want to go look at the Tolan v. Cotton briefing, we didn't give up at all. You know, we're, we're, we've, we've affected the lives of others. And, and I mean, really, that's, that's, that's what it's about, right? You, you know, I, I, I wanted my day in court. I wanted justice for myself. But I also wanted to make sure that this didn't happen to anyone else or did what I could do to prevent this from happening to some other family. So, um, you know, I, 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 I hear you, and I was upset about it, but, but we, didn't, we didn't give up. You know, it, it, was, it was the hand we were dealt. We were forced into making this decision. Um, and now we're just trying to, you know, make the best of it with the, with the foundation, with the book, uh, with having talks like this. Um, so that's, that's how we're affecting change. Question to your left. This is a, a two-part question. I want to follow up on this gentleman in the back. And I know you do go into it in, in detail, and maybe <coughs> you, you're leaving it out so folks can read and, and find that out on their own. Uh, but speak a little bit more about uh, exactly how not only you specifically, your, your, you and your family were impacted. I know, I believe there's an excerpt in the book where I believe your father was hospitalized the same time you were, and we were the degree of stress that was added upon uh, your mother's shoulders. Uh, so speak a little bit to uh, some of the nuances that someone in your situation goes through that the average person can say, well, you know, he seems like he's pretty fit, right? You know, he just got shot, you know, just get over it and move on where it seems it's that simple, but clearly it's not. Mm -hmm. And then my second part would be, um, what would you recommend from a policy standpoint? What should, you know, I talked about the mayor earlier, what should our, uh, what should our mayors, our city councils, what, what should they be doing from a policy policy standpoint to ensure that there isn't another uh, Robbie Tolan incident happening? Uh, yeah, we're not. Again, you know, I want them to read the book, right? So, I, I, um, but my my dad um, my dad grew up in Watts in the sixties, fifties and sixties. Um, you know, as a as a um, a black man in L.A. during that time. You know, you uh, you kind of instructed to kind of, you know, stay quiet and keep your keep your head straight and have blinders on and, and not really rattle cages. Um, clearly, he and my mother were raised very differently. Um, but when I was shot, my dad it obviously affected him, right? But my dad kept it bottled in. He's not one of those guys that cries or shows emotion or gives a whole bunch of hugs and kisses. He does now, he's like 70 something, but um, but he's not one of those guys, he, he keeps it in. And so uh, a week and a half after I got shot, my dad had a massive heart attack and had a uh, triple bypass. And so he and I were in the same hospital across the hall from each other. And um, you know, to think about the stress that caused my mom now she's got her husband and her only child across the hall in uh, in the hospital together, um, and you know my family, my my um, my my cousin was deeply impacted um, from a point of going through a traumatic incident, right? 
being there, and you know, maybe no physical uh, injuries, but definitely emotional, emotional and psychological. Um, and then when they would speak about it in the news, they would initially say, you know, Robbie Tolan and Anthony, Anthony Cooper, Robbie Tolan and his cousin Anthony Cooper. And eventually the narrative became Robbie Tolan and his cousin Anthony, Robbie Tolan and his cousin, Robbie Tolan, Robbie Tolan. So he virtually got ignored. Um, you know, everyone focused on me and my injuries and, and kind of ignore him. You know, he had a mental breakdown and moved away to California. Um, and just, I mean, just uh, it, it trickled down throughout the family. Um, I had a cousin who was a surgeon and uh, he was doing a, a um, uh, on a missionary trip in Kenya and that's like my big brother, right? I, I, don't, I don't have any siblings, but uh, as tight as my family are, we were raised, um, I have two older cousins um, that were raised like my big brothers. And to hear that about your little brother being in Africa and you can't get back, you can't, you don't know what's happening. Um, I mean, it, it had a tremendous impact on, on family and, and, and all of that. And what was the second, the policy? Um, I think one of the things that, that needs to, to be implemented, did you guys know if you're, if you're a bus driver and you get in a, a wreck, you have to submit to a toxicology report? They don't do that for police officers when they're involved in a shooting. Or a wreck, I don't think. I could be wrong, but definitely not a shooting. Um, so I think that's something that could be, be implemented. Um, and then, of course, held accountable, right? Um, there, you know, we, we, we're all familiar with the, the, the blue, blue code and blue lives matter and, and, um, and that blue uh, brotherhood. So in many of these cases, police departments participate in cover-ups. You know, they're trying to protect their, their brother and, or their sister, and I, you know, I understand that, but wrong is wrong, right? Uh, I, think, I think these, these victims uh, should be afforded the opportunity of, of, uh, of some type of justice or a, an objective, thorough investigation done by maybe a citizen's review board. Um, someone that the police department has to answer to. Um, and you know, if in these small towns like or cities like Bel Air, you know, if one hand washes the other, you know, no one gets any answers and no one gets justice. So um, I think uh, I think I think that's something that could, that that should and, and and you know should be implemented. Other questions? Yes. Uh, thank you for talking with us. Uh, so it's obvious that for seven years, eight years, you're going through a lot um, and dealing with a lot, both from a family health side, psychologically. My question is, how did you how did you deal with all that and find yourself moving through and finally getting to where you are now? Um, I think a big part of it was th was the book, um, just writing writing that stuff down and getting those emotions out. Um, I didn't. <laughs> I I went to a therapist once um and she was supposedly like the the best um 
the, the, the best therapist in the state for dealing with trauma, um, but she wasn't black. And not to make it a race thing, but I didn't want anyone that didn't look like me to tell me, well, what do you think the police, you know what I mean? I, I, I didn't want anyone that didn't look like me to play devil's advocate. I can have the conversation with you all day. But, um, and at that time it was still very fresh. Um, I can probably do it now. But um, at the time, I didn't want anyone that didn't look like me um, to, uh, to, 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 to play devil's advocate. To what, what do you think he was thinking? Do you think he was in fear of his life? And I didn't, I didn't want to hear any of that. So um, I went to her once, and I treated it like, like an interview, like a TV interview, where I was emotionless and stoic and stone-faced. And, and uh, at the end of our hour, she said, well, you know, there's, there's uh, no doubt that you went through something very traumatic. Um, and either you're very strong or very good at bullshitting. And I said, it was a little bit of both, to be honest with you. Uh, and I never went there again. <laughs> but um, I, I, I put those emotions in, in, in that book. And I think, um, I, don't, I mean, I, I won't say this to be fact, but I, I think uh, a lot of the anxiety that I had was that I felt alone, and um, and at times I felt like I didn't I didn't have anyone either didn't have anyone to talk to or didn't want to bother anyone. Um, I'm very independent, and so I don't like saying, "Hey, I'm hurting. I need you." So um, I put a lot of that into into my writing, and uh, and I think. Uh, I think that was a great deal of therapy for me. So uh, it's it's been uh, you know I don't don't uh, mistake this guy for for this uh, superhero that 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 I've been this whole time. But uh, you know it's 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 been a process. It's taken a while to get here. Uh, in December it it it, it, it was uh, it made ten years. So um, it's it's been a ten year process. So I think I'm in a in a really good place now, and and I'm I I, I have my my baby here, and 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 I put my everything in, in, into that, and um, you know I, I just feel I feel like that's you know that's that's my that's my heart. My heart is in that book, so um, I feel like I got rid of a lot of those emotions um, when I put them in there. We have time for just a couple more questions. Hi. Um, something that really touched me from your book is that you shared a couple of letters of people that were, <laughs> I mean, not even responding to anything that you were saying, just reacting to the situation. And there was so much anger in it. And, and, and you mentioned there that those were not the only letters. There were letter of letters of support, too. But... That anger uh, scares me because I hear it right now, not, you know, I mean, your incident happened a few years ago, but this is happening right mm -hmm. now. That anger, that deep anger that you hear in people reacting to people of color just doing everyday things, things that are ordinary. And I, I kind of feel, I, I can imagine being optimistic about creating policies and changing the behaviors of um, cops or the system in that sense, but I find it harder to imagine 
changing that deep anger in society that we hear right now. Um, what what do you think about that? Um, seeing it happening on TV and all the time after what you went through. Yeah, um, I mean it 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 hurts still. Um, you know, every time we see this on the news or it happens to, you know, a, a, a Botham John like in Dallas uh, a couple months ago or Trayvon Martin or uh, Sean Bell who was right before me um, or Eric Garner or, I mean, the list goes on and on, right? And uh, and there's a, a several examples in the book. Um, but, you know, every time something like this happens, I... I I feel I, re I relive it over and over. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of anger out there. There's a lot of hate. Um, I, uh, I, I made the mistake of, so I, I, I spent about a month in the hospital and my attorneys would come in and they would say, oh, you know, people are really upset about this. You got a lot of support. And I was, you know, in the hospital room. I, I wanted to feel it. I, I, I want to see this support. Because I don't, I'm, I feel alone. I feel hurt. I feel angry, and I, I made the mistake of um, reading internet comments. <laughs> you don't ever want to do that. Oh my God! Um, but there's a lot of anger out there. There's a lot of anger, um, and I think, I mean, I don't, I don't have a, a pill that's gonna get rid of it. Um, but I, I think people need to be more open to having a conversation, right? What about this situation don't you like why you know and then you could get to the root of of you know my grandparents taught me this way or you know i, I grew up hearing the n-word in the house all the time and i thought it was okay to say you know you can kind of get to the root of 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 why people are so angry but um i don't think that can happen until you have a conversation question up i wish i had a pill though you can just pop in and get rid of all that but Thank you for being here, and welcome to Harrodsburg, Pennsylvania, which is the capital of Pennsylvania. Okay, that's my little <laughs> um, introduction. Can you please, sir, touch on the fact, for those who don't have this experience, this might sound strange, but there's a stereotype about being stereotyped. There are people who do not have a comprehension that despite the fact that there are people of color who are educated, who are polite, who are kind, who are involved in their community, we are racially profiled and that racism seems to trump common sense about the fact that it's happening. So like there are friends of mine who are still like they can't grasp like Raina, like you seem so put together like this could never happen to you. I'm pretty sure that you would uh, never in a million years with your pedigree ever imagine being here. Like, did you ever feel racially profiled prior to this, you know, um, occurrence? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, not so blatantly, right? Um, <laughs> but not so definitively. Um, but yeah, of course, I mean, you know, and, and I think we're all a, a product of our experiences, right? Um, for, th for those that don't, that can't fathom that there's racism that's still out there, that, that, that people are racially profiled, 
I try not to even entertain those people. I, I'm, I'll be honest. I, I, you know, I'll just listen and I, okay, well, thank you for sharing. And I'll just move on and it doesn't, you know, ruin my day or anything. But I think that's why it's um, so important for those who are passionate about social justice to be involved in their community, right? Like, like jury duty being one of them. We can, that's, that's uh, some type of effect we can have on change, right? Um, I think about the people that were on the jury in my case, or in the, the officer's case, right? Um, and there were blacks on the jury, by the way. Um, but you know, I, th I think about people who have come up to me afterwards and said, oh man, that jury was you know, messed up and da 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 da, and, and I, 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 can't, I can't shake this feeling or this thought that at one time or another maybe you threw that jury summons away or you didn't or you opted to go to you know not to be on the jury or you know because it's inconvenient we don't want to take time off work or you know for college students we're, we're in college um but that's that's something you can do and I, I i've i've spoken at a number of universities and you know they always say well what can we do as college students you can vote you can go to jury duty you can pay attention to local politics that's that's the effect that you can have on change and you can, you can organize fundraisers. You know, you can develop a black student union at your school. You can organize fundraisers for these local politicians that are running for the right reasons and they're running uh, based on uh, uh, policies and, and, and things that affect you. Um, you know, these are all things that we can do as, as private citizens. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't uh, not that that was your question, but I kind of rambled a little bit, but um, I don't ever accept Oh, well, I feel like I, I don't have a voice, so I can't do anything. You know, that's that's something you can definitely do. Um, and if you can't vote, you can't complain. That that the end. That was it. Uh, okay, uh, right. Hi, I'd really like to thank you uh, for coming, um, and I wanted to acknowledge your pain, and that, and acknowledge that. Every time you tell this story, you relive the trauma. And as white people, we often expect um, black and brown people to come and tell us our, their stories instead of doing our own work. And I appreciate your book. Um, I've read a part of it. The only reason why I haven't finished it is that I have had early mornings and I knew that I would stay up all night <laughs> and read it through. But my question for you is how, um, what have you experienced with the Fraternal Order of Police? As a person here who is very involved with trying to get a police accountability board, what we ran into was everything that we came up with, what came back to us was we can't do that because we have this agreement, we have this contract between the city and the Fraternal Order of Police. And those contract negotiations are secret. Mm -hmm. We cannot be part of it. Um, and you know, one of the big things here in this city is that um, residency requirements for police officers mm -hmm. was bargained away some years ago in exchange for a 
um, or lack of pay increases because we are a city that is financially dis, um, distressed. But we've run into a lot of issues with not so much um, city council and the mayor's office, but this wall, which is the Fraternal Order of Police. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, we have the same thing. I'm from Texas, <laughs> a very red state. Uh, Houston is blue, but Texas is very, very red. Um, but no, I, I, I think uh, you said housing requirements for for our housing. Right, and I, I think that's a that's a that's a, a great policy, right? Um, you know, a lot of times when you have these police that weren't, we'll call them losers in high school, right? They 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 grow up with a chip on their shoulder. They get a badge, and then they want to, you know, inflict pain on people that look like the people that cause them pain, right? So I think, I think. Um, you know, if you grow up in the community that you're policing, you have more of an understanding of, of the happenings in that community. Uh, you're not afraid by certain things. You know, three black guys with hoods on, you know, walking at nine o'clock at night might just be walking home, or you know, they might not be up to any trouble. But you know, you know, again, we're we're some of our experiences, right? So if your experience was that you got assaulted or robbed by a group of black men, that you're gonna think all black men walking in a group are out to get you. And I think that's the same mentality that some of these police, some of these, I don't know if we have any law enforcement, but I, some of these policemen, uh, that's the mentality that they have. Um, but I think, yeah, being being from the city or the, the, the neighborhood that you're policing is a great way to, to quell that. Um, you made another comment that I, that I, did I answer your question? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and uh, grand jury is another one. Sign up for grand jury, right? Because now, when we have these, you know, if if there's an incident with police, we're all taking our phones out, right? And so it's getting harder to uh, ignore that this is a problem, or you know, the, uh, for the powers that be, don't want any uh, bad press or anything. So they're indicting these officers, but then they're not being held accountable, right? So. Grand jury, sitting on grand jury is a way to, 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 to help with that as well. You know, sign up for grand jury. Sign up to be the foreman of the grand jury. You know, you, there's a, there's a, we have any attorneys? Have you heard the term? I, they just told me a couple years ago, but uh, that, a, that a, a grand jury can indict a ham sandwich? Have you heard that? My attorney told me that. That might be a Texas thing, so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so again, these the grand juries are private. You know, as a as a victim, I'm only in there uh, when I'm testifying or when I'm doing my deposition. Uh, my attorneys can't be in there. You know what I mean? So it's 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 um, you know, I think s signing up for and and sitting in grand juries is a way to you know do your part to hold these people accountable. I, mm, they won't let me do it. I've I've been trying for years. They 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 Question see my back. name and they're like, nope. Good day, everyone. Good day to you, good brothers. Now, my question is, what's your lesson? What What did you learn up until this point today? I learned a lot of stuff. I mean, what's the greatest lesson, though? I'm talking about the 
everything you've gone through up until now. I don't I don't know that there that there's a greatest lesson that that one is greater than the other. Um, I I um, I I gained a great deal of appreciation for family and my support system. Um, I'm thankful that I didn't lose my faith in all of this. Um, I think maybe maybe that would be the greatest lesson. If if I had to pick one, right? Um, I think anyone could objectively agree that I had every right to be angry and bitter and 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 lose faith and question God and um, and I, I I had questions, but I never lost faith. I I never. You know, I, I think the I think the thing with me, I was trying to figure out why it was me that was spared. You know, when all these this laundry list of names uh, are no longer here. Um, so I had a I had a lot of um, talks with God, um, but I, I don't I don't know that there that there's a, a you know a, a, a paramount lesson that I that I learned. It was just um, I'm, I'm thankful for the process and the, and the journey, um, and now I can go and and, and uh, minister, if you will, to these families that that don't have that type of support. You know, um, the foundation is. So when when this happened to me, we hadn't been through anything like this before, so we didn't know how to navigate through the system. It it was a lot of. Um, you know, walking in the dark with a flashlight, knocking on doors that no one answered or, or knocking on the wrong doors. And so now, you know, we've been able to guide some of these families um, on what questions to ask the DA, um, what, 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 um, having a brain fart, what uh, documents to, to request. Uh, so I, I, don't, I don't know that there's a, you know, this big aha lesson that I learned um, I'm just appreciative that, that it was me and that I can now speak for those who can't speak for themselves. Question on the stairs. Hi. Um, I want to ask if you could go back to the faith topic, actually. Um, I'm curious if you had um, any comments or opinions from your faith community during, um, during that time that was counterproductive to the work of justice. I think sometimes... Um, the ideas of love your neighbor or be kind to all people is a way to, or at least in my experience, is a way to sort of um, brush aside responsibility mm -hmm. uh, in, in calling out injustices. So I'm wondering if you had experiences like that and what how you uh, went uh, through that. I, I didn't know. Um, I, I didn't have any experiences like that. Um, my uh, church was incredibly, incredibly supportive. Um, in fact, uh, when they learned that we were going to the Supreme Court, my church wrote a corporate prayer that everyone would say before, before church, naming the every justice, praying for them, praying that they would uh, uh, review this case and rule with a clean heart. And when you think about, um, you know, Justice Scalia. And Justice Scalia wrote a brief on my behalf, in my favor, after this opinion came down. That's nothing but God. You know what I mean? 
So if there, if there, if there were any question, if there were any question, just to, to, I'll give you another example um, about a, a, a little story that I have. Oh my God, it's gonna make me cry. A little story that I have that was taken out of the manuscript. Um, not sure why, but if I had to guess, I think it's so I could tell it now and be more impactful, right? But, oh man, this is gonna get real bad. <coughs> there was a constant influx of people that came to see me. So let me, let me back up. When I got rolled into the OR, the chief of staff was in there at the time and um, I, 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 I went to Ben Taub Hospital, which is probably one of, if not the top trauma center in the country. Terrible county hospital, but uh, great, great, uh, great trauma center. And the chief of staff, having no idea who I was, said there's something, there's something about this guy he doesn't look like a normal gunshot victim. He doesn't have any gaudy jewelry, any tattoos at the time. Um, I had some small earrings in, but you know, he said, there's something about this guy's different. Let me, let me just uh, kind of pay attention. The police, some of, uh, the officer who shot me, some of his colleagues showed up to the OR and said, they tried to bust in the OR while I was being operated on and said, we need his clothes. You need to give us his clothes right now. And the chief of staff said, look, y'all may run it out there. I run this. I'm giving his clothes to his parents. Um, there were dozens and dozens and dozens of people um, there to support me in the hallways of the hospital. There were also police trying to talk to my family, trying to get statements. The chief of staff gave my family a conference room so that they could kind of police who came in and out. God. He didn't have to do that gave me a private room. He didn't have to do that. Changed my name, gave me an alias. Didn't have to do that. One night, <coughs> I had a private ICU room, so there was always someone staying with me. Um, my, my mom would come and stay during the day, and you know, among you know, plethora of visitors. But my mom would stay with me during the day and then my uncle would sleep all day and come stay with me at night so that I wouldn't be alone. One night, my mom was on her way out and my uncle was, was, was in, coming in, and a guy um, came to the door and said, you know, I was trying to wait till things kind of died down for you, um, but I'm one of the nurses that operated on you. He said, can I come in? So I'm like, yeah, absolutely, C you know, come in. And he said, uh, he said, 
when you were in the OR. There were angels everywhere. He said everyone saw them. They were around the doctors, manipulating their hands. He said they were everywhere, flying around the room. He said everyone saw them. We never saw that guy again. We asked about him at the hospital. No one knew who we, who, who we were talking about. We don't have anybody that looks like that. So when I, when I get down and I think about giving up, I think about those moments. And no matter how it looked, the things that went in our favor. And, um, and so, you know, I, that's why I never lost faith. That's why, um, I, and, and to answer your question, no, I, I, I didn't have any, um, any type of conflicting uh, love thy neighbor messages from my, from my church or from my supporters or, or from my church family or, you know, um, everyone, everyone was, was, was amazing as far as uh, their support. Um, so no, I didn't, I didn't have any, uh, I didn't have any, uh, that, that wasn't my experience. I told you I was going to cry. Sadly, we are running out of time, so we just have time for just one last question. And then Robbie is sticking around to mingle with everyone. Well, thank God you never gave up. Thank you so much for your big heart. I, I wanted to just, I, I have a quick question, but I also just wanted to say that I don't think any of us sitting here can even imagine what it was like for you and your family to go through this. And the fact that you got yourself together enough to pour your heart into launching this baby that you've given up as a gift and that you're helping so many people is so courageous and so incredible. And I, I was wondering if you would just take a minute to talk about your foundation and what it does and can we contribute to it and how can we help and support you? Uh, so the the foundation, like I said, is um, we, we've been kind of held up by um, you guys, uh, you guys, president. Um, <laughs> um, we've we've been kind of uh, uh, temporarily sidelined and getting our five hundred one c three status, um, but that that hasn't changed um, the work that we've been trying to do. Um, uh, I mean, you can go to my website and uh, I'll. I'll um, you know, be be updating about the about the foundation there, but uh, it's again, it's for support of these families, um, whether it's a shoulder to cry on, or direction uh, on how to navigate through the justice system. Um, a lot of attorneys have been really amazing in stepping up and saying, "Look, you're going to need attorneys to do pro bono work, right?" Yeah, absolutely. I we can't. <laughs> you know, we're not at that uh, point where we can, uh, you know, pay for, for, for that kind of thing. But uh, some attorneys have been really amazing in volunteering their time and, and um, in their, their knowledge. And, um, and, you know, unfortunately, we've, we've paid for some funerals. Um, we'll have to, you know, wh whatever we could do. I mean, we're, our, our resources are at this point a little, a little bit limited. 
Um, but that's that's primarily what the what the foundation is about. Um, so yeah, again, y'all pray that we get that five hundred one c three status. You know, because what's his name is holding that up, or his, you know, the government. Could we get it up for Robbie? 